Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today, today we're going to be reading Chapter 14 of The Gift of Tongues, pages 143 to 147. The, ta- uh, the chapter of the title is Obedience to the Commandments. And... I'd like to dedicate this program. I just found out that Laura Harris Hells passed away today. Today being April 13th, 2022. That's Brian Hells wife. She helped him in all of his research for all of the research on Joseph Smith's polygamy and Nauvoo and Carlin polygamy. She was only 54 years old. It's interesting, Brian Hells is an anesthesiologist and he actually works in the hospital where I was born. And we've had uh, many conversations just online. But I woke up 20 minutes ago, went to the bathroom, brushed my teeth. I had to wait for a second for the phone to charge so that I could turn it on. I opened up Facebook while I'm waiting and there's this thing that just hits you like a ton of bricks and I'm so sorry Brian I just can't even imagine losing a wife she would have been 55 in August That's only 10 years older than I am. I'll be 45 this June. That's way too young. And I'm so, so sorry. We'll go through the reader portion of the program. Which is about 13 minutes long. And then we'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program. The phone lines are open during the recorded portion. Um, I'll bring you into the call screening room if I see that you've called. If you want to wait till the end of the recorded portion of the program, I'll take you on live. 
Anyway, let's get to this right now. This is Obedience to the Commandments, Chapter 14 of the Gift of Tongues. Obedience to the Commandments, Chapter 14 of the Gift of Tongues, pages 143 to 147. The gifts of the Gospel are not just given to anyone nor even to just anyone who is seeking for them. The Lord offers blessings which are predicated upon certain laws and principles, and to obtain any blessings we must obey the law or principle upon which it is based. The Apostle George A. Smith explained, Many of these blessings descend on the children of men in numerous instances regardless of their conduct, and apparently independent of their actions. But there are blessings which mankind cannot receive, only through obedience to the commandments of God, our Heavenly Father. There are privileges and gifts which cannot be enjoyed, only through the diligence of those upon whom they are bestowed. The gifts that pertain to the Gospel of Jesus Christ can only be obtained by obedience to the truth, and can only be retained by a faithful adherence to the commandments of God. And in order that these may be multiplied upon the people, they must be appreciated by those upon whom they are bestowed. When our hearts are filled with thanksgiving, gratitude, and praise to God, we are in a fit condition to receive additional blessings, and to have more of the outpouring of His Holy Spirit. Journal of Discourses President Brigham Young gave similar advice. My brethren and sisters, Answer this question in your own minds. Are we entitled to the blessings of the Holy Gospel unless we obey the ordinances thereof, and all the commandments and laws and requirements that are laid down for us to obey? Now I know that every Latter-day Saint will come to the same conclusion that I do and dash that if we did not obey, we would not be entitled to any of these blessings from our Father. There is not a Latter-day Saint, but who comes to the same conclusion as myself and dash that we would not merit, we would not be entitled to, we could not claim at the hand of our God those blessings that he has promised through obedience to his word. Could we be called the people of God? We would be in the path of disobedience. We would be in the path that leads to death. We would be in the broad road that millions are walking into death. Now, every one of us comes to this conclusion. Journal of Discourses Many people were converted to the gospel because they saw miracles, yet many of them later apostatized because they fell into sin. In most cases this type of people must continue to see such miracles or manifestations to keep them active. George Q. Cannon explained, The man or the woman who is convinced of the truth of the gospel by seeing the ears of the deaf unstopped, or the tongue of the dumb unloosed, or by dreams or visions, as a general thing, requires a continuation of these manifestations from that time forward to keep them in the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This our experience confirms. There is another class who obey the truth, because it is the truth, and receive the testimony of the Spirit without any particular manifestations. 
but in whose heart the spirit of God continues to burn and increase, imparting to them all its gifts and filling them with joy and peace unspeakable. They retain their faith in the work of God, and as ace, weeks, months, and years pass over their heads, their faith and confidence increase. Journal of discourses of the blessings and gifts of the gospel can be lost by an individual through his disobedience and sinfulness. So, too, can the church as a body also lose those gifts. That is what happened to the early Christian church through their apostasy. Now if you will preach the same gospel, you will preach the same principles precisely that were taught not only by Paul, Peter, James, and John, but by all the rest of their fellow servants. And when men received the Holy Ghost, they spake with other tongues, and prophesied. In order to tell whether people have embraced the true gospel or not, we need only to look at their fruits, for by their fruits shall you know them, says the Saviour. Now some suppose there was necessity for this display of the power of God to establish the gospel, and that when it was established the gifts would be done away. I regulate reading, in the 94th sermon of John Wesley, in commenting upon this subject, he says, it has been vulgarly supposed that after the gospel was established the spiritual gifts were no longer needed. But this is a gross error. To be sure we seldom hear of them after that fatal period that Constantine called himself a Christian. Scarcely an instance of the manifestation of these spiritual gifts can be found in the second century. The reason is not that they were done away by the will of the Almighty, but Christians had apostatized, and become heathen, and had nothing but a dead form of religion left, and this is the grand reason the gifts have not continued in the church. This is the idea Wesley gives in the sermon I have alluded to, if not the exact language. That is, Mormonism. In the second century the church apostatized and became heathen, and men could not speak by the gift of the Holy Ghost, and with other tongues, and prophesy, and obtain visions, and the gift of healing. J.M. Grant, Journal of Discourses 2, 231, When Men Apostatized. They even deny the truth and spirit they once possessed. Jedediah Grant also witnessed this. In relation to men's apostatizing, I recollect in the upper room of the temple in Kirtland, Ohio, when we were assembled there, a very noted man, by the name of Sylvester Smith, bore testimony of what he had seen of the prophet of God, of angels, etc. He said he wanted to bear testimony, and continued to say, I have spoken by what you call the Holy Ghost. The eyes of my understanding have been touched, and I have seen convoy after convoy of angels. I have laid hands on the lame, and they have leaped like an heart. I have spoken with tongues, and had the interpretation thereof. I have seen the sick healed time after time. In dash, but let me tell you, everything I have seen and everything you have seen is the height of idiotism. This was Sylvester Smith after he apostatized. This was the testimony of an apostate, 
which is conclusive proof to me that a man may see the hosts of heaven, the chariots of Israel, and the horsemen thereof, and gaze on the glory of God, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And unless he retains the Spirit of God, he will apostatize. Journal of Discourses It should be remembered that not only sin will prevent people from enjoying gifts and blessings from God, but traditions, peer groups, and worldly customs also can prevent us from receiving and enjoying these gifts. When something clashes with our worldly traditions, we immediately think it must be wrong. This happened at the Curtin Temple dedication, as George A. Smith relates. On the evening after the dedication of the temple, hundreds of the brethren received the ministering of angels, saw the light and personages of angels, and bore testimony of it. They spake in new tongues, and had a greater manifestation of the power of God than that described by Luke on the day of Pentecost. Yet a great portion of the persons who saw these manifestations, in a few years, and some of them in a few weeks, apostatized. If the Lord had on that occasion revealed one single sentiment more, or went one step further to reveal more fully the law of redemption, I believe he would have upset the whole of us. The fact was, he dare not, on that very count, reveal to us a single principle further than he had done, for he had tried, over and over again, to do it. Journal of Discourses Erastus Snow warned the saints that they must struggle to keep those gifts. If they then begin to say in their hearts, I have served the Lord for a little season. I have been baptized. I have received the Holy Ghost, and have become some great one. I have received the gift of tongues, and have prophesied. I have received the power of healing the sick and other manifestations of the power and mercies of the Almighty. I think I can remain where I am and do well in disregarding the counsel of the Almighty respecting gathering together and dividing my substance for the gathering of the poor and building up of Zion. It will be said to them who speak and act thus, as it was said to Nebuch at Mezar of old. If they cling to that which is given, and set their hearts upon them more than they do the kingdom of our God, those blessings will be withdrawn, the Holy Ghost will be taken from them, and that light received through obedience to the first principles of the gospel will flee away, that love which they possessed will leave them, and they will become weak as before and darker than ever, unless they speedily repent and turn unto the Lord with all their hearts. This lesson we have all got to learn and dash that we and all that we possess in the Lord's and that continually, and that we must forever hold ourselves subject to his counsels, and ready to obey his will. Journal of Discourses Chapter 15 The Gifts of God, in the True Church Church Obedience to the Commandments, Chapter 14 of the Gift of Tongues, pages 143 to 147. The gift of, of 
The gifts of the gospel are not just given to anyone, nor even to just anyone who is seeking for them. The Lord offers blessings which are predicated upon certain laws and principles, and to obey any blessings, we must obey the laws or principles upon which it is based. The Apostle George Albert Smith explained, quote, Many of these blessings descend on the children of men in numerous instances regardless of their conduct and apparently independent of their actions. But there are blessings which mankind cannot receive only through obedience to the commandments of God. Our Heavenly Father, there are privileges and gifts which cannot be enjoyed only through the diligence of those upon whom they are bestowed. The gifts that pertain to the gospel of Jesus Christ can only be obtained by obedience to the truth and can only be retained by a faithful adherence to the commandments of God. And in order that these may be multiplied upon the people, they must be appreciated by those upon whom they are bestowed. When our hearts are filled with thanksgiving, gratitude, and praise to God, we are in a fit condition to receive additional blessings and have more of the outpouring of His Holy Spirit. And quote, Journal of Discourses, Volume 11, page 330, and that was George Albert Smith. Page 144. President Brigham Young gave similar advice, quote, My brethren and sisters, answer this question in your own minds. Are we entitled to the blessings of the Holy Gospel unless we obey the ordinances thereof? And all the commandments and the laws and requirements that are laid down for us to obey? Now I know that every Latter-day Saint will come to the same conclusion that I do that if we did not obey, we would not be entitled to any of these blessings from our Father. There is not a Latter-day Saint, but who comes to the same conclusion as myself, that we would not merit, we would not be entitled to, we would not claim at the hand of our God those blessings that he has promised through obedience to his word. Could we be called the people of God? We would be in, in the path of disobedience. We would be in the path that leads to death. We would be in the broad road that millions are walking into death. Now every one of us comes up to this conclusion. And quote Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 16, page 165. Many people were converted, or, yeah, converted to the gospel because they saw miracles, yet many of them later apostatized because they fell into sin. In most cases, this type of person must continue to see such miracles or manifestations to keep them active. George Q. Cannon explained, quote, 
The man or woman who is convinced of the truth of the gospel by seeing the ears of the deaf unstopped, or the tongue of the dumb unloosed, or by dreams or visions as a general thing requires a continuation of these manifestations from that time forward to keep them in the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our experience. This our experience confirms. There is another class of who obey the truth because it is the truth and receive the testimony of the Spirit without any particular manifestations. But in whose hearts the Spirit of God continues to burn and increase, imparting, them, imparting to them all its gifts and filling them with joy and peace unspeakable. They retain their faith in the work of God, and as days, weeks, months, and years pass over their heads, their faith and confidence increase. Journal of Discourses, Volume 11, page 331. We're on page 145. As the blessings and gifts of the gospel can be lost by an individual through his disobedience and sinfulness, so too can the church as a body also lose those gifts. That is what happened to the early Christian church through their apostasy. Quote, Now if you will preach the same gospel, you will preach the same principles precisely as they were taught not only by Peter, James, and John, and Paul, but by all the rest of their fellow servants. And when men received the Holy Ghost, they spake with the other tongues and prophesied in order to tell whether people have embraced the true gospel or not. We need only to look at their fruits. For by their fruits, Ye shall know them, says the Savior. Now some suppose there was necessity for this display of the power of God to establish the gospel, and that when it was established, the gifts would be done away. I recollect reading in the 94th sermon of John Wesley, in commenting upon this subject, he said, It has been vulgarity, Suppose that after the gospel was established and the spiritual gifts were no longer needed. But this is a gross error. To be sure, we seldom hear of them after the fatal period that Constantine called himself a Christian. Scarcely an instance of the manifestation of these spiritual gifts can be found in the secondary or in the second century. That the reason is not that they were not done away by the Almighty, but that Christians had apostatized and become heathen and had nothing but a dead form of a religion left. And this is the grand reason the gifts have not continued in the church. This is the idea that John Wesley gives in the sermon. I have alluded to, and if not the exact language, that is Mormonism. In the second century of the church, the church apostatized 
and became heathen, and men could not speak by the gift of the Holy Ghost and with other tongues and prophesy and obtain visions and the gift of healing. And that was stated by J.M. Grant in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 231. That is exactly what has happened in our church today. Jesus said that he would have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, implying it would become out of order in Doctrine and Covenant, section 85. And it has become out of order. And he has sent one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order. Now, why can't some some break-off sect of, of Mormonism do this? They can do all the right things. But because the church has apostatized, because the church was under condemnation, and because the church was cursed and rejected according to DNC section 124 certain things were lost which had to be restored again sealing keys had to be restored again the keys that Joseph Smith received when he had his calling and election made sure and he was sealed up to the father and the son so that others could be sealed up in the law of adoption to Joseph Smith, thus being sold up to the Father and the Son, that was done away with by Wilfred Woodruff. And now it is restored again in 2003 when the Father laid his hands upon the head of the one mighty and strong. The one mighty and strong being sealed up to the Father, he became a link so that you could be sealed up to him <clears throat> same way the saints were sealed up to Joseph Smith without this this key there is no setting in order but this key has been turned anyway continuing on When men apostatize, they even deny the truth and the spirit they once possessed. Jedediah M. Grant also witnessed this in the war on page 146. Quote, In relation to men's apostatizing, I recollect in the upper room of the uh, temple in Kirtland, Ohio, when we were assembled there, a very noted man by the name of Sylvester Smith bore testimony of what he had seen of the prophet of God, of angels, etc. He said he wanted to bear testimony and continue to say, I have spoken by what you call the Holy Ghost. But the eyes of my understanding have been touched and I have seen convoy after convoy of angels. I have laid hands on the lame, and they have left like a heart. <clears throat> a heart is a small deer over in Israel. I have spoken with tongues and had had the interpretation thereof. I have seen the sick healed time after time, and let me tell you, everything I have seen and everything you 
have seen is the height of idolatism. This was Sylvester Smith after he had apostatized. This was the testimony of an apostate, which is conclusive proof to me that a man may see the host of heaven, the chariots of Israel, and the horsemen thereof, and gaze on the glory of God, and be filled with the Holy Ghost, and unless he retains the Spirit of God, he will apostatize. Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 254. It should be remembered that not only sin will prevent people from enjoying gifts and blessings from God, but traditions, peer groups, and worldly customs also can prevent us from receiving and enjoying these gifts. When something clashes with our worldly traditions, we immediately think it must be wrong. This happened in, Kirtland, in the Kirtland Temple dedication, as George Albert Smith related, quote, On the evening after the dedication of the temple, hundreds of the brethren received the ministering of angels, saw the light, that's the Shekinah glory of God that rested upon that temple, which was accepted by God, saw the light and the personages of angels and bore testimony of it. They spake in new tongues and had greater manifestations of the power of God than that described by Luke on the day of Shavuot or Pentecost. Yet a great portion of the persons who saw these manifestations in the few years and some of them in a few weeks apostatized. And if the Lord had on that occasion revealed one single sentiment more, or one went one step further to reveal more fully the law of redemption, I believe he would have upset the whole of us. The fact was, he dared not, on that very account, reveal to us a single principle further than he had done, for he had tried over and over again to do it. Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 215. We're on page 147, which is the last page of this chapter. If you'd like to call in, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. Further to reveal more fully the law of redemption, I believe he would have upset the whole of us. The fact was he dared not. On the very account, revealed to us a single principle further than he had done, for he had tried over and over again to do it. And that is Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 215. That was George Albert Smith. He was actually the eighth president of the church, I believe. Erastus Snow warned the saints that they must struggle to keep those gifts. If they then begin to say in their hearts, I have served the Lord for a little season. I have been baptized. I have received the Holy Gift and have become some great one. I have received the gift of tongues, 
and have prophesied, I have received the power of healing the sick and other manifestations of the power and the mercies of the, the Almighty, I think I can remain where I am and do well in the di- disregarding and do well in disregarding the counsels of the Almighty, respecting gathering together and dividing my substance for the gathering of the poor and the building up of Zion. It will be said to them who speak and act thus as it was said to Nebuchadnezzar of old. If they cling to that which was given and set their hearts upon them more than they do the kingdom of our God, those blessings will be withdrawn, the Holy Ghost will be taken from them, and the light received through obedience to the first principles of the gospel will flee away. That love which they possess will leave them, and they will become weak as before and darker than ever until they speedily repent and turn to God with all their hearts. This lesson we have all got to learn, that we and all that we possess are the Lord's and and that continually, and that we must forever hold ourselves subject to his counsels and ready to obey his will. Journal of Discourses, Volume 8, page 219. So that's the end of that chapter. Tomorrow we're going to get into the second to last chapter till the end, and that is the gifts of God in the true church. So, like I said before, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. Thank you for listening. Okay, so we're in the live portion of the program now. Uh, My wife, just got home, but she's going to be reading how to qualify for the celestial kingdom today. Continuing on with that, um, while she's doing what she needs to do, uh, I'll just talk about my day yesterday. So I get paid per the load, and I had four and a half hours of wait time yesterday where I was getting nothing. So, and then there was a blizzard up at Huntington Power Plant, and three trucks were spun out in front of me and the other truck uh, that uh, my co-driver, not my co-driver, but uh, we work for the same company. Anyway, so I sat there for an hour, and uh, I didn't get home till like, right before Kim left today, and then I didn't get to see her after work, so I got to see her for maybe 10 minutes today, which... Oh, well. And then, anyway, then I woke up later on and uh, found out that Brian Hell's wife died, which I talked about at the beginning of the program, which is horrible. She was 54 years old. She would have been 55 in August. And I'm not personal friends with Brian C. House, but I do admire the work that he's done. And we have had quite a few conversations online um, over the last, I don't know, nine, ten years. And uh, I I respect him, although I think that he does apologetic work for the church and he's got to do some mental gymnastics. But he 
he and I have talked about those things, and uh, I don't know if he, I don't think he thinks that I am legit, but it doesn't matter. So, anyway, but I'm really just heartbroken to hear that she passed away today, and I'm, I'm heartbroken that people are taking the advice of the leaders of the world that want to do a depopulation, Agenda 2030 type of things, including the leaders of the church. And Laura, in my opinion, was murdered through chemical, um, I don't know, like these, uh, these, um, I don't want to say too much to get me banned from YouTube because I do put these on YouTube sometimes, but there's blood clotting. Usually happens. It will usually happen within three years of the introduction of chemicals, specific kind of RNA chemicals into the body. And this is done by design and that Bill Gates talked about in his um, 2010 talk called Innovate to Zero, how that he was very happy to be able to put aside his other work and do this this work with uh, chemicals that we inject into our selves and uh, that with proper health care and these chemicals that we could reduce the population of the earth down 10 to 15%, which was part of the problem of global warming that he was trying to solve. Seven billion people were, uh, that was the population of on the earth at the time, now, the population of the Earth, according to um, experts, will go up to about 9 billion without intervention, and then it will level out. That's, that's pretty much where it will stay. That is the capacity of this Earth in this celestial age. But at 7 billion, 10 to 15 percent is 700 million to 1.5 billion people. Okay, Emmett is now on. Emmett, can you please open up the studio so that you can monitor that? Uh, confirm command. That's actually what I was just doing. <laughs> okay, go ahead and mute your mic. Anyway, so Bill Gates back in 2010 was giving a global warming conference where he, was call he called it Innovate to Zero. And there's three different, uh, I don't know what they call it, like numbers that they got to get down. And one of them is population. And they were hoping to be able to use his new hobby to get the earth down in population 10 to 15%, which was, uh, would have been at the time, 700 million to 1.5 billion people reduced from world population. And I believe that this uh, whole scare 
that we've had with these numbers and this uh, propaganda are getting people to take the bait, and uh, they're losing their health. And it makes me sad. They are not victims of an accident. They are murder victims. And they will cry out under the throne of God as martyrs. And they don't even know. I think Laura knows now. She's passed beyond the veil. I don't know exactly what they tell people there, but it is so incredibly sad. And we're going to see this happen more often. And you know what? All of these real estate prices that you see going up everywhere, this is only a fad. It's not going to last. Because I believe within three to five years, you're going to see such a massive decrease in population that there will be vacant homes. There will be burned out homes as well because as the population begins to die off, you're going to see mass shortages. And uh, it's going to become – so that movie called The Postman came out with um, Kevin Costner. Uh, while I was on my mission, which really made me jealous. when I was in Columbus, Georgia when it came out, uh, serving at Fort Benning uh, Army Base. And I wanted to go see it so bad. Me and Elder Yonggi, he was a Tongan elder, we were on splits, and he was like, man, we should go see that movie. <laughs> oh, we didn't. I waited until I came, I came home. But I love that movie. But that is, uh, it's uh, for, this kind of thing that's going to happen. We're going to get to this point one way or the other. And uh, in Russia, they didn't take these internal chemicals, so they're not going to be decreased. And, uh, well, I could go on and on. But anyway, Kim, um, are you ready for the reading? Yeah, sure. How to Qualify for the Celestial Kingdom Today by James B. Cox. We are on Chapter 10 today, and it is a pretty lengthy chapter. It also has, like, um, one of the previous chapters had this little tiny ending, uh, like Part 4 or Part 2 or something it says. Let's see. Hold on. It's really weird. So we have a bunch of, uh, you know, a lengthy chapter, and then it says Section (laughs) 4. perceptions that affect my spiritual growth so we'll have like this little you know two-pager at the end of the chapter so we'll be on for a minute um emmett's gonna grab his book um after he's done taking out the garbage um he is gonna grab his book and look up you know the quotes for us okay um so anyways chapter 10 is goals and sanctification how to keep all the commandments Uh, Sorry, I was just talking with Lydia. Okay, let me go ahead and read. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, Chapter 10, Goals and Sanctification, How to Keep All the Commandments. 
that's an interesting part of the chapter. Actually, I'm going to say something right before we even start to uh, read. <laughs> so um, a lot of times um, when we were in New Hampshire and we, or like, you know, traveling around the country, you would hear people say, um, you know, that it's impossible to keep all of the commandments and that there's so many commandments that it's hard to keep all of the commandments. And, um, a lot of times they were like, well, I don't want to be that righteous, you know? So I just think that's interesting how to keep all of the commandments. Um, there are 10 commandments. And then as you're reading through scripture, you see all of these other things that you are commanded to do, which is super interesting because it's not actually a commandment. It's just what you're commanded to do. So I guess in, in reality, it is a commandment. Anyways, let me continue. I'll start off with the reading. One thing that will help us function in the spiritual dimension is to keep the commandments. As we do, we will enjoy a greater portion of the gift of the Holy Ghost. How can it be done? Let's begin with a few basic principles. Doctrine of justification. How do you know that what you do is acceptable to heaven? In a Melchizedek Priesthood Study Guide, we were instructed as follows. Let me see where this study guide is from. Um, it's from Melchizedek Priesthood Personal Study Guide, 1978 to 79, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Salt Lake City, 1978, page 46. Quote, <clears throat> what then is the law of justification? It is simply this. All covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations. In DMC 132 verse 7, it says, I, Emma is still not in here, so I'm just going to look that up on my phone really quickly. And when you come back in, Emmett, you can look up the next one. Um, okay, so we'll do DMC 132 verse 7. And verily I say unto you, that the conditions of this law are these. All covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations that are not made and entered into and sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise of him who is anointed both as well for time and for all eternity, and that too most holy by revelation and commandment through the medium of mine anointed whom I have appointed on the earth to hold this power. And I have appointed unto my servant, Joseph, to hold this power. That This is in parentheses, so um, it is added. I just let, letting everybody that I'm reading to know, this is a per, in parentheses. And I have appointed unto my servant, Joseph, to hold this power in the last days. And there is never but one on the earth at a time on whom this power and the keys of this priesthood are conferred, that's the end of the quotation, are of no efficacy, virtue, or force in and after the resurrection from the dead for all contracts that are not made unto this end have an end when men are dead. So, um, Something else that you can't see while I'm reading um, is you can't see where it is capitalized or not. So generally when you look at capitalization in a script or in a text, um, 
it, it, there is reasons for it. So either it, the whole word is capitalized and they're screaming, right, or it's very important, um, or just a part of it is capitalized because it's a name or a proper noun. In this case, um, when it talks about the Holy Spirit of promise, Holy Spirit is capitalized. So I just wanted to uh, make sure that while you're reading and doing your own study also, um, because I'd like to believe that this isn't the only study that everybody does and they are, you know, going in and doing their own research as well. Anyways, so yes, I was just letting you guys know that Holy Spirit is of promise is um, capitalized in this, meaning it's uh, talking about a, an individual. Okay, continuing on. Um, in which men must abide to be saved and exalted, must be entered into and performed in righteousness so that the Holy Spirit can justify the candidate for salvation in what has been done. An act that, uh, if justified by the Spirit, is one that is sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, or, in other words, ratified and approved by the Holy Ghost. This law of justification is the provision the Lord has placed in the gospel to assure that no unrighteous performance will be binding on earth and in heaven, and that no person will add to his position or glory in the hereafter by gaining an unheard, unearned, sorry, an unearned blessing. We know when something is justified because the Spirit will be with us. Moses 660 Says, absolutely. Why do you think he used that scripture in D&C section 130 to justify what he was talking about? What do you think he was actually trying to say? You're asking me? <laughs> yes. I, I figure you already well, I mean, know what the answer to that is, but I'm going to let you know. Yeah. Um, well, I'll okay. talk about what I'm going to say, but go ahead. Okay. Um, so we've heard before, because we've talked about it, um, actually the last time, not the last time we were reading, but a few chapters ago, I should say, um, we were talking about the Holy Spirit of promise. Um, it was just mentioned. It wasn't something we went into. Um, but when it's talking about the law of justification or doctrine of justification and specifically DNC 132.7, is that what you're asking? DNC of that scripture, Mark? Sorry, I'm at the mind. Um, That's okay. You're I'm specifically talking distracted. about that scripture. That's okay. Um, well, I'm going to answer okay. it like yeah, I think that's I what you're asking about... me. Okay, yeah, <laughs> okay. go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, so when it's talking about the laws of justification um, and specifically about all of so the list covenants contracts bonds obligations oaths, vows performances connections associations or expectations that are not made and entered into and sealed by the holy spirit of promise of him who is anointed okay let's stop there so when we're talking about all of those things that's a, a big list they were trying to be all inclusive i'm sure to let you know that yeah. there isn't something outside of that that is going to be accepted um, in eternity, for all of eternity, because it's both as well as for time, but also for all eternity. And it has to be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Again, capitalized, it's talking about a person. There's an individual 
um, hopefully, you know, like what I was saying, hopefully everybody is studying out so they can, can know the truth of who that individual is. Um, I know if you've been reading or listening to this radio show long enough, um, Mark has a claim uh, on that. He talks about his whole experience and, um, well, I've been giving revelation too that, you know, those who trust him need not fear. And, um, so that's who specifically they're talking about. Now, the reason that when I was reading that, I was letting the audience know in verse seven, um, because that was added on by somebody else. So the revelation itself, reading it without the parentheses stuck in, um, was that verily, verily, I say unto you that the conditions of this law are these, all covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations that are not made and entered into and sealed by that person, the Holy Spirit of promise, of him who is anointed anointed by God, both as well for time and for all eternity, forever, all the time, guys, the rest of our existence, yep. and that too most holy, the that too most holy talking about um, God. It doesn't capitalize that, so I'm like, ooh, let me think before I say that. Um, that too most holy by revelation and commandment through the medium of mine anointed, through the medium of mine anointed, the anointed is that person. Yeah. Um, so I'm just breaking it apart quickly. Um, whom I have appointed on the earth to hold this power, the keys to do all these anointings, are of no efficacy, virtue, or force in and after the resurrection from the dead. You got to do it now. You can't do it when you're dead. For all contracts yep. that are not made unto this end have an end when men are dead. So unless if you're being sealed and accept, you know, you're, unless if you're being sealed in the power by the person with the correct power. Um, I know that's a huge, like, sour point for people because they think God isn't going to just make that one person. I mean, it says it. It says it in this revelation. There is that one person, and you it you yep. know it's up to you to study and to to do that to be you know if it's so important to you and you do actually like your spouse and want to be with them for time and eternity, then I would think this is very serious that you would know at with absolute no doubt that that person that holy spirit of promise um is there and is justifying your, you know, it says spirit can justify the candidate for salvation, which has been done. So unless if you know with certainty, um, I would definitely be praying about it if you were uncertain. Well, people assume. And because it's, it's, yeah. Well, they do assume a lot, and it's because um, we as human beings, we want the easier way out. We just want to follow somebody. We want somebody to tell us, please just tell me what to do. I don't know. It's so hard. It's hard. I can't do it. That's how we are. And, uh, well, some yeah. people will be like, well, well, the Lord's anointed is obviously the president of the church, you know, but then other people are like, no, all you have to do is follow Christ. Christ is the only way, whatever. Okay. But 
Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23 states that there will be a man who will come who will be like Moses, and all they who will not hear that prophet will be destroyed from among the people. Yeah. It says right after, I love to read the before and after verse, right after it says, Behold, mine house is a house of order, saith the Lord God, and not a house of confusion. Will I accept an offering of an offering, saith the Lord, that is not made in my name? Probably not. Verse 10, or will I receive at your hands that which I have not appointed? Probably not. And verse 11, and will I appoint unto you, saith the Lord, except it be by law, even as I and my father ordained unto you before the world was. I am the Lord thy God, and I give unto you this commandment, another one, that no man shall come unto the father but by me or by my word, which is my law, saith the Lord. Yep, there's a and everything that Hold on, let me just end with this one, okay? In verse 13, and everything that is in the world, whether it be ordained of men, by thrones, principalities, or powers, or things of name, whatsoever they may be, that are not by me or by my word, saith the Lord, shall be thrown down and shall not remain after men are dead, neither in nor after the resurrection, saith the Lord your God. So, um... Yeah, that's some pretty serious stuff. And also I'm looking at this in verses uh, 9, 10, and 11. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny because as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, is that how I sound? Because when I teach, because, you know, I teach little kids, I always ask them questions instead. So instead of just giving them the correct answer, I ask questions to help their brain to think, think through the process. Why would we do this? Why do you need to do that? How come that is that way? I don't know. So they probably think that I'm an idiot because, you know, I ask these questions all day long at them. But it's kind of funny because that's what God's saying here. Am I going to accept an offering that is not made in my name? He doesn't even answer. He just says, is that what's going to happen? Or am I going to receive at your hands that which I have not appointed? Uh, And will I appoint unto you, except it be by law, even as I, my father, ordained unto you before the world was? Am I going to be okay with that if it wasn't my law? Yeah. So he's like, do you know how confu- how ridiculous this sounds? <laughs> just kidding. That's kind of how I am when I teach. So I just well, noticed that um, by saying that. <laughs> okay. So I want to teach a principle here. If you accept the father, but you reject the son when he comes, the Jews, you're rejected. If you accept the Son, but you reject the Father, the Christians, and their Trinitarianism, you are rejected. And if you reject the witness, but you accept the Father and the Son, you're rejected. Joseph Smith taught God the witness, or the Holy Ghost, was yet a spiritual being waiting to take himself a body to come to do the same or similar things as Jesus did. In the lecture at the Grove, he stated what, along with section 130, which was uh, written down by William Clayton, so people think they can get away from section 130, but you can't. And Joseph Smith talked about this in the lecture at the Grove, 
wherein he stated that the Holy Ghost at that time was a spirit, was not in the flesh. Now, some people want to say, well, well, you know, uh, Jesus, hold on. YouTube coming down. Okay. All right. I just got loaded. Um, they'll say, well, uh, we can't trust Section 130 because William Clayton is the one that wrote that down, and it's in his journal, and blah, 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 whatever. And, you know, they're like the Jews of everything that talks about Jesus by, by you know, saying, well, it doesn't mean that. Anyway, so, um, but but Joseph Smith said that, that, that uh, you know, at that time, he was very specifically, was the last sermon that he gave, he very specifically stated that the Holy Ghost was a spirit at that time. And then going back to section 130, um, you know, God tells Joseph Smith that the Holy Ghost is a spirit. Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith had a body. Section 130 says God the witness or the Holy Ghost doesn't have a body. And that was true at that time. But Joseph also taught that God the witness had to come and take a body to come to do the same or similar things that Jesus did. Okay. So when it's talking about Joseph Smith having the the sealing keys, and then it talks about, um, well, he'll hold those just like the other prophets held or hold all the keys all the way up into Adam and on Diamond. He came to do the work of laying the foundation for the redemption of Zion as in Elias for God the witness, not that he is God the witness. Okay? Now, a lot of people think that, that Joseph Smith is the Davidic servant and he's going to come back as a resurrected being, but it won't really be resurrected because all that means is that he'll come back into mortality and he'll have a different name and whatnot and whoever, whatever, you know. And, uh, you know, I hope he comes back. I really would like to have some help, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Excuse me. Isaiah talks about two servants, two Davidic servants. He's not talking about the king of Assyria. He does talk about the king of Assyria, but there are two Davidic servants. One is called righteousness, salvation. Now, if Joseph Smith is one of them, great. But there's two. There are two. Two witnesses that will die in the streets of Jerusalem. There are two. Anyway, these Judas goats, they have to keep you distracted long enough to where, you know, you don't do anything to actually go towards the Lord's anointed to get sealed to have the ordinances done. Now, the other thing, too, Daniel chapter 12 talks about in the last days, God will, uh, or Daniel sees a man clothed in linen who raises his arms to the air, you know, like after the manner of the Melchizedek priesthood, and he scatters or severs the power, the priesthood of all the holy people. Who are the holy people? It's they of the restoration. Who? He severs the priesthood of. And that has happened. 
and the Judas goats will try to get you so wrapped up in all this other stuff without actually going towards the gathering of Israel. I mean, they're not telling you to gather. I mean, I think they probably will after they hear this talk, because I think that they listen, especially one individual. But anyway, the, well, actually, I know the correlation department listens to this too, uh, of the uh, the mainstream church. But um, they want to keep you distracted long enough to where everything falls apart and it's not going to matter anyway. Because you will not hear the voice of this prophet, the man like unto Moses, you will be destroyed from among the people. Now what has the Lord told me to tell you? The gathering place is Emory County, Utah. I don't know how you're going to get here, but this is where you need to be, especially, especially if you're in North America. And the place of safety is south of Emory County, Utah. Period. End of story. God wants you to prepare to go into the wilderness. He also wants you to do what he's told you to do, to keep all his commandments. So one of the things about this chapter that I was like, oh, that's interesting. In Joseph Smith translation of Genesis chapter 9, it says that when the people look, uh, keep all that I have commanded them and they look up, Zion will come down from above. So this has to happen for Zion to be redeemed and in order for Adam and Andiaman to happen. There has to be a people who will live what God has commanded. And God has commanded in the instructions in the doctrine and covenants that he desires that we have united orders the law of consecration, the gathering of Israel. There's other things too. The law of adoption, which is the sealing by the Holy Spirit of promise by the Lord's anointed. Joseph Smith was that man back in the day. The church went into apostasy, as it says in section 124 and Doctrine and Covenants 84, where the church is placed under condemnation first, and then later they're rejected as a church with their dead, which happened. So, in order for you to repent, you have to realize what awful situation you're in. Because your leaders, whether you're in the LDS church or any other church, have been lying to you. They want authority. They want power. But God sends a servant to you with the ability to set the house of God in order and the keys of sailing and of priesthood. But these other individuals like Denver Snuffer and other individuals like Denver Snuffer, they, uh, you know, they're, going, they're going to be Judas goats. And they're going to tell you many truths, but it's all a distraction to keep you looking away from the one who God did send, because God did not send Denver Snuffer. He did not send. I have to bite my tongue with the name because um, I want to walk away from a certain individual 
just because I, I see that how he attacks things, he attacks truth. But God told me is to hold my peace with him specifically. Oh, but it's really hard. Anyway, um, go ahead, Kim. I just I was just wondering, like, why he was talking about, you know, the Lord. The, the other thing, too. I'm sorry. Are you there? Yes, I am. <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna be quiet. I, I'll just I'll just mute myself for a minute and then let you talk. Go ahead. But you are on such a roll. <laughs> are you really tempting me? Because I can go on. <laughs> I know you can. It's funny because if I'm not here, you know, at exactly the time that it's done, then I'm like, okay, I'll be there. I'm going to be there. And then I'll come in and get ready, and I will be, like, sitting here for 10 or 15 minutes <laughs> listening to you go on and on about something else. And then I'm like, Okay, you're ready. <laughs> it's funny to me. I know. I brought it but the top you of must Beryl have had to say it. So I don't know. <laughs> I do have other things to say. Okay. Some I people know. want to reject <laughs> 132 outright altogether. Because Brigham Young was such a horrible person. The problem is Section 132 was presented by... Hiram Smith to William and Jane Law, and they talked about it in the Nauvoo Expositor, which was published in June of 1844. And they talked about that revelation, Section 132, being presented to them in April of 1844. So we know it existed before Brigham Young took over the church. And we know through the testimony and affidavit of William and Jane Law and others that uh that you know this section on uh polygamy existed. The only problem with it is when when william when William law saw the presented section one thirty two which was presented to the church, he said that revelation is way too big. this was you know this is this is why yeah this is there is you know. Brigham Young added a ton of stuff to this revelation, a ton. He did that. It was not from Joseph Smith. The revelation that he read in April of 1844 was only a couple of pages long. It was not as long as what Brigham Young said. Now, William Law and Jane Law left the church, and they thought that Joseph Smith was in apostasy and that he was a fallen prophet. They had a huge problem with polygamy and temple, uh, the building of the temple and tithing and a whole bunch of other stuff. They freaked out about it, you know. And uh, so why would they def- why would they say, well, yeah, the section existed on polygamy, and that's why we're so mad about Joseph Smith because he's a fallen prophet because because they were Gentiles who accepted their own ideas of what should be, you know, taught, whatever. They rejected polygamy, plural celestial marriage, and they freaked out over the revelation on on polygamy, section 132. But the fact of the matter is you can't throw out all of section 132 just because you hate Brigham Young 
and you hate polygamy. Because the fact of the matter is there's evidence that there was the revelation on polygamy. It's in the Nauvoo Expositor. Other, there's other evidence for it as well. So when, when you see these parentheses, that is Brigham Young admitting that he's adding things to it. But he admitted, or that he didn't admit all that he added to it, because he did. He added a lot more than what, uh, what we understand. We don't have the original revelation today that he didn't tamper with. So anyway, and I know that's a big tangent going away from what we're talking about, but I think it's important that people know these things so that they're not deceived by these individuals who freak out about polygamy and throw Brigham Young under the bus. Yeah. So I, they will throw Brigham Young under the bus, but then they'll say they get their priesthood through Brigham Young. You know, oh, the, the, the ironic priesthood still remained in the church. But Brigham Young was not God's prophet. Brigham Young was a steward over God's kingdom. Whether or not he was a prophet, he said he wasn't, you know, and he wasn't. He wasn't the Lord's anointed. That position was Joseph Smith alone. Brigham Young did not ever see the Father or the Son. He was not the Lord's anointed. And Jesus said he would reject the church for disobedience and they were rejected. But now the church has gotten further and further into their apostasy and their disobedience by changing the endowment, changing the doctrine and the gospel, and changing and saying, oh, that was for those guys back then. We don't have to worry about that now. We're just going to do what we want to do. Even though Jesus has never done away with or abrogated any of his instructions. Not a little. Not even a little. So all of this stuff about, you know, Brigham Young, or not Brigham Young, but like, we don't have United Orders. It's 16 million members of the church, not one United Order. That these leaders are wealthy when, when God says it is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. And if you'll be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. They just ignore those things. And these Judas scouts will teach you a whole bunch of really true things, but they'll never get you to go towards keeping God's instructions for the redemption of Zion. And they even go so far to say, oh, Joseph Smith won't show up on the scene until after the destructions happen even though it says in Isaiah that the light will break out among the Gentiles and also um, that his word, the Davidic servant, will sprinkle the nations with his word. How does that happen? How does one individual sprinkle the nations? Not pour out, sprinkle. You're hearing it right now. The prophecy is fulfilled. This podcast is world wide and the the nations are being sprinkled and light has broke out among the Gentiles and I was talking about the program uh, on the the Christ's 
Doctrine of Christ Zoom call last night, I asked questions related to the discussion. I don't openly admit who I am on that program. But when I talk about something, it's usually because I already know what I'm talking about. It's like Ted Cruz. He doesn't say anything to these uh, judicial nominees or people that they're doing investigations on. He'll ask them questions he already knows the answer to. It's the tactic of a good lawyer. Talks about the light breaking forth. It is talking about the Davidic servant who is a light or a candlestick that God has sent to the earth. And the name of a prophet is always foreordained. It's always chosen by God and inspired to the mother or the father that his name will mean that which his ministry is. Kim? Kim? Yes. Warrior Light in the Forest? Is that what you're talking about? What, tell, yeah. What does my name mean? Well, um, Mark... Tyson, Trent, Lichtenwalter. Um, Tyson yeah. is son of God. Yeah. Um, but Lichtenwalter is light in the forest. Or, or light, light in the, the darkness. darkness. It depends on how yeah. you... Yeah. And my first name, Mark, is Warrior. Oh, yes. I forgot that one. Yep. Yeah. Why are you asking me to tell him? You know what it is. You tell him. <laughs> I know. But, like, I'm just telling you. The, the listening audience, like, mm-hmm. my name means what my job is. I am a light in the darkness fighting truth, and I am a son of God. And I have been sent as a witness. And Joseph Smith did talk about me, and Isaiah did talk about me. And I'm sorry if that makes me crazy. Oh, the Gentile world thinks that all the prophets are crazy. Especially the true story, uh, the living one makes it more plausible. You know, they, they'll be okay with uh, following a dead prophet because a dead prophet doesn't get up and smack them like they need to be smacked. You know, dead prophets are safe. Living prophets, they're dangerous. They're dangerous because when you reject them, you're rejecting the servant that God sent. And when you reject the Father, but you accept the Son, you don't receive acceptance. And when you reject the Son, but you, you know, if you reject the Father, or if you, uh, not if you reject, if you accept the Father and the Son, but you reject the witness when he comes, guess what? It doesn't matter. You'll be rejected. The man like into Moses, the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. That's what Moroni told Joseph Smith about the man like unto Moses or Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23. And now I'm telling you, here I am, and these individuals are trying to say, oh, don't worry about any of that because Joseph Smith, he's going to come after the destruction, after it's too late for you to actually hear the, the instructions that God has given for you to follow by the man like unto Moses, who I am. 
Anyway, I'm going in the dip, which is probably good for everybody that doesn't like to hear this. And I will mute myself and go ahead, Kim, with the reading. <clears throat> yeah, okay, we're ready. We've been ready and waiting. Okay, let's continue on with the reading. On We're on 100, page 110, How to Qualify for the Celestial Kingdom today. Okay, and we're actually in the middle of a quote because it's in the middle of one. Anyways, from the Melchizedek Priesthood Personal Study Guide, 1978-79, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Salt Lake City, 1978, page 46. We know when something is justified because the Spirit will be with us. The companionship of the Spirit, graciously extended by the Lord, is the witness or evidence of justification. If a person sincerely repents of past mistakes, the Spirit may return and again justify the actions of that man, thus assuring that they are acceptable to God. Um, Emmett, you want to go ahead with that other quote, Moses 6, 60? Yeah, hold on. For by the water ye keep the commandment, by the Spirit ye are justified, and by blood ye are sanctified. That sounds right. Sounds amazing. Thank you. Elder McConkie has explained how justification becomes operative. In Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon Doctrine, page 408, quote, As with all other doctrines of salvation, justification is available because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ. But it becomes operative in the life of an individual, only on conditions of personal righteousness. End quote. Again, that's from Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon Doctrine, page 408. When it comes time to inherit the gift of the celestial kingdom, we will not give the Savior a list of all our deeds and ask, where do I pick out my 40 acres? Our deeds will never equal an inheritance in the celestial kingdom. But Heavenly Father will give us the gift of entrance into his kingdom as long as we qualify for that gift. As long as we fulfill the demands of justice, we can receive the gift. On what basis can we be assured that what we are doing will be acceptable to our Heavenly Father by our having the companionship of the Holy Ghost and doing things in this life for Heavenly Father, then we can know that our works are accepted. When we qualify, we are justified to come back into the presence of God, even though we have sinned because of the sacrifice of the Savior and our righteous works. The next section, Doctrine of Sanctification. How does one eventually overcome the effects of sin? <clears throat> By the law of sanctification. As one walks in the straight and narrow path daily, feeling the influence of the Holy Ghost, his spiritual self will grow and expand. As he continues in the path, loving God and all men, he will reach the point where his strongest desire is to serve Heavenly Father. B&C 8867 through 68 says, I'm guessing that you are not there, Emmett. <laughs> okay. Let me read it for you. Um, section 88, 67 through 68 says, <clears throat> I overshot it a little bit. And if your eye be single to my glory, your whole body shall be filled with light, and there shall be no darkness in you. And that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. 
That would be awesome to comprehend this, all things, just saying. Verse 68, therefore, sanctify yourselves that your minds become single to God, and the days will come that you shall see him, for he will unveil his face unto you, and it shall be in his own time and in his own way and according to his own will. End quote. And now Second Nephi 31, verse 20. <clears throat> I don't know why Emmett is having his phone when he is not reading quotes. Um, 2nd Nephi 31:20 says, "Wherefore ye must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and love and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life." His past sins will no longer have any negative effects upon him. If any mistakes in the past are recalled, they will be felt simply as experiences to learn from. He will have no negative feelings of self-worth. He has overcome. The 1978 to 1979 Melchizedek Priesthood Study Guide Reviews Sanctification. This is Melchizedek Priesthood, Personal Study Guide, 1978 through 79, page 47. Quote, I will put my own definition to the term sanctification and say it consists in overcoming every sin and bringing all into subjection to the laws of Christ. God has placed in us a, per, a pure spirit when this reigns predominant without let or hindrance and triumphs over the flesh and rules and governs and controls as the Lord controls the heavens and the earth. This I call the blessing of sanctification. Sanctification cannot be achieved by man alone. It requires the powers of heaven together with his sincere labors and desires. That's um, from Melchizedek Priesthood, Personal Study Guide, 1978-79, page 47. <clears throat> um, Emmett, do you have Alma 41.3? Okay, it says, Alma 41.3, and it is requisite with the justice of God that men should be judged according to their works. And if their works were good in this life and the desires of their hearts were good, that they should also at that last day be restored unto that which is good. And then also DNC 20.31 and giving you a warning, my two-year-old is coming down, roaring, and I don't know if that's going to come on here. DNC 20, 31, and 32. And maybe even more, because I like to read these. Okay. And we know also that sanctification through the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is just and true to all those who love and serve God with all their mights, minds, and strengths. But there is a possibility that man may fall from grace and depart from the living God. <clears throat> next, our next um, subheading is model of mind and heart. According to the scriptures, there are several functions of the mind and heart. On the next page is a model which can be used to help us understand their functions in overcoming the world. Following the diagram, several scriptures are listed referring to each dimension. 
So it has a little diagram of spirit, mind, heart, imagination, conscience, memory, reasoning, feelings, desires, pain, happiness, sorrow, joy, and peace, and then acts, say, and do. So that's what it says. It's hard to explain the diagram itself. Um, if you want to look it up, it is in the book, How to Qualify for the Celestial Kingdom Today by James B. Cox on the top of page 112. Our next subheading is Spirit. And it starts off with the quote, actually has three different quotes in it. The first is from Moses 6:65, and it says, And thus he was baptized, and the Spirit of God descended upon him, and thus he was born of the Spirit and became quickened in the inner man. And then James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead. And then in D&C 67 verse 10, it says, The veil shall be rent, and you shall see me, and know that I am. Not with the carnal, neither natural mind, but with the spiritual. <clears throat> End quote. And then our next, next subheading, sorry, um, is Imagination. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil. Do you look forward with an eye of faith and view this mortal body raised in immortality and thus corruption raised in incorruption to stand before God to be judged according to the deeds which have been done in the mortal body? I say unto you, can you imagine to yourselves that ye hear the voice of the Lord saying unto you in that day, Come unto me, ye blessed, for behold, your works have been the works of righteousness upon the face of the earth. That's Alma, chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. And in First Chronicles, chapter 28, verse 9, it says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him, with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. That's First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. Our next subheading is conscience. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Um, many of you will recognize that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. John 8, verse 7 and 9 says, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Let him, cast, let him first cast a stone at her. And they which heardest, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one. And quote from John 8, verses 7 and 8. I mean, 7 and 9, sorry. Apostle Paul said, I have lived in all good conscience before God. That's Acts 23, verse 1. And in 1 Timothy, verse 1, chapter 5, or I'm sorry, in 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Charity out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. And then our last one under conscience is Alma, 28, verse 5, quote, Yea, and I know that good and evil have come before all men. 
he that knoweth not good from evil is blameless, but he that knoweth good and evil, to him it is given according to his desires, whether he desireth good or evil, life or death, joy or remorse of conscience. End quote from Alma 28, verse 5. Our next subheading is memory. In Alma chapter 36, verse 17 through 19, it says, I was harrowed up by the memory of many sins. Behold, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ. Now, as my mind caught hold of this thought, I cried within my heart. And now behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. That is Alma 36, verses 17 through 19. In Psalms 25, verse 7, it says, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. The sacrament prayer, do this in remembrance of me. Now, talking of reasoning, in D&C, chapter 50, verse 10 And now come, saith the Lord, let us reason together that ye may understand. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 8, And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? And D&C, chapter 133, verses 57 and 58, The Lord sent forth the fullness of his gospel, his everlasting covenant, reasoning in plainness and simplicity to prepare the weak for those things which are coming on the earth. Heart. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's Proverbs 23, 7. Matthew 15, 8 says, have removed their hearts far from me. Malachi 4.6 says, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Blessed, or Matthew 5.8 says, blessed are the pure in heart. Matthew 5.28 committed adultery with her, all, her already in his heart. Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there will, your, will be your heart also. Matthew 11:27 I am meek and lowly in heart. Matthew 15:9 or 19, I'm sorry. Out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts. And Luke chapter 6 verse 45 Out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And Luke 16:15 God knoweth your heart. <clears throat> Our next subheading is desires. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh, Ephesians 2, 3, um, Enos 1, 9, began to feel a desire for the welfare of my brethren. Alma 29, 4, granteth unto men according to their desires. And D&C 137, verse 9, says, according to the desires of their hearts. Our next subheading is focus on future, past, or present. How can this model help us? It appears that one can focus his mind on the things of the future, the past, or the present. 
For example, one can walk along the road and see the scenery or stop a friend and talk to or participate in sports, all of which is in the present moment. He can use his conscience to determine if what he is doing is good or evil. He can use his memory to recall things to talk about or help him in his sports. His reasoning faculty is used to look at the pros and cons of each decision, weighing the possibility results or the possible results of each choice. In this process, the imagination is a powerful tool. The imagination is used to gain knowledge, to develop faith and hope, to draw close to the spiritual matters. Moroni suggests what one should hope for. He says, and what is it that ye shall hope for? Behold, I say unto you that ye shall have a hope through the atonement of Christ and the power of his resurrection to be raised unto eternal life. That's Moroni 7:41. One needs to picture in his mind and feel in his heart his being raised up unto eternal life. He needs to spend some of his present moments developing faith in Jesus Christ. How is this done? By picturing the Savior in one's imagination and feeling after him. While reading the scriptures, one can see Christ's travels, feel his suffering, understand his counsels, and feel his expressions of love. Through this mental experience, one can learn truths that can be used in dealing with the realities of life. For example, if one is being put down by someone else, what are his options? He can believe what is being said about him and feel in his heart rejection, worthlessness, stupid, dumb, and lose hope, faith, and charity. Or he can open his imagination and ask, what would Christ do in this situation? What would he do to help this person overcome his problem? If this individual has a witness of his own spiritual worth in the sight of God, a hope in his personal resurrection and eternal life and a love of God and all men, what will be the results when he sees and feels after the Savior? He will feel love, joy, and peace in this situation of persecution, will have great inner strength. He will be able to feel love for the person who is putting him down. He will be sensitive to the feelings of this person and pray for him. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 and 44 says, I will let you know as soon as I look it up, Emmett, <laughs> I am on page, I'm at the top of page 116. Hi, Arius. I am reading the scriptures and I'm reading the books. Okay, Matthew 5, 43 and... 44 says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. If one has developed 
and inner strength that comes from a testimony of one's spiritual worth, hope in Christ, and a daily personal relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, then he is prepared to overcome the adversities of this life. This person can lose everything, like money, recognition, loved ones, and still overcome the sorrow and pain. How? Because his strength comes from above. He can open his imagination and heart unto God and receive his strength. Second Nephi 22, verse 2, says... Okay, it says... I, I have it pulled up this time. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He, is al- or he also has become my salvation. Okay. And then also, Alma 26, 12 says... Yea, I know that I am nothing. As to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God. For in his strength, I can do all things. Yea, behold, many mighty miracles we have wrought in this land, for which we will praise his name forever. As one reads the scriptures and ponders them in his heart, His imagination will see and his heart will feel the words of the Savior. He will feel his love, his desire to save all men and to come to know of the purpose of this life. The scriptures will become alive and delicious to him. His soul will be enlightened. Alma 32.28 says, Sorry, I was trying to unmute myself. Hold on. Alma 32.28 says now we will compare the word unto a seed now if he give place that a seed may be planted in your heart behold if it be a true seed or a good seed if ye do not cast it out by your unbelief that ye will resist the spirit of the lord behold it will begin to swell within your breasts and when you feel these swelling motions you will begin to say within yourselves it must be or it must needs be that this is a good seed or that the word is good, for it beginneth to enlarge my soul, yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding, yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. And that's that one. Will the spiritual experience be real? Yes, according to Alma, in Alma 32, verse 35. Oh, then, is not this real? I say unto you, yea, because it is light, and whatsoever is light is good, because it is discernible. Therefore, ye must know that it is good, and now, behold, after ye have tasted this light, is your knowledge perfect? I personally believe that this inner spiritual direction will help us over the adversities of this life in relationship to dominating feelings. For example, if someone is finding fault with me, I will experience certain feelings. And if I pray to Heavenly Father and the feelings I have for him are deeper and stronger than the current negative feelings, I will be able to control these negative feelings. And soon God's love can fill my being as I continue to feel after Heavenly Father. The next subheading in this chapter is the emotions follow the mind. It appears that man can only think deeply about one thing at a time. James chapter 1 verse 8 says, 
Uh, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And as a man thinketh, his emotions seem to follow. If a person thinks about a lovely lake, feels the sunlight, hears the birds singing, is, his body will relax, and he can feel peace and at ease. The emotions respond to what he holds in the mind. As a person holds negative thoughts of the past in his mind, mistakes, sins, criticisms by others, embarrassing situations, soon he will feel corresponding feelings as one thinks of being wealthy or poor, accepted or rejected. The emotions are present. When one drives down the street, he can choose to notice the for sale signs, etc. Even though he has the right to change his thoughts to other things, if the emotional pull of buying a home is greater than anything else at the moment, his mind will remain on the possible dream of buying a home. Anything in the environment that relates to buying a home will come to his attention. It takes great effort to change one's mind to things that don't have the same emotional pull. If two or three thoughts pass through the mind, the one with the greatest emotions attached to it will be brought back to take center stage. Our next subheading is free to choose and to act. Each person is free to choose what he will hold in his mind and therefore what he will believe and feel in his heart. Heavenly Father told Adam and Eve that they were free to choose. In Moses chapter 3, Verse 17, but the, of the tree of knowledge, I'm sorry, excuse me, <clears throat> but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat it. Nevertheless, thou mayest choose for thyself, for it is given unto thee. The Savior told Joseph Smith in DNC 37, verse 4, behold, here is wisdom and let every man choose for himself until I come. That's in DNC 37.4. Nephi outlines what one is free to choose. He says in 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 27, Wherefore, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which is are expedient unto man, and they are free to choose liberally and eternal life. Liberty. Or liberty and eternal life, thanks a minute. Or to choose captivity and death. End quote. That's from Second Nephi chapter 2, verse 27. Heavenly Father, Father also gave unto man the right to act for himself. And then don't make me laugh or I won't be able to read. Heavenly Father also gave unto man the right to act for himself. But he concluded that this could only be, the possible, be possible if he were enticed by good and evil. Second Nephi 20, verse, chapter 2, verse 27 says, uh, Wherefore men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man, and they are free to choose liberty and eternal life, or choose capacity and death. He also indicated that man is to act and not to be acted upon. Second Nephi 22 verse 26 says, And the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time, that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And because that they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever, knowing good from evil to act for themselves and not to be acted upon, save it be by the punishment of the law at the great and last day, according to the commandments which God hath given. That's kind of weird how they did it in that order, like they did the second Nephi. I know, uh, they did the first verse, the second verse first. Yeah. 
DNC 9330 says all truth is independent in that sphere in which God has placed it to act for itself. As all intelligence also, otherwise there is no existence. For the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves. That's DNC 58, verse 28. And Alma, chapter 12, verse 31 says, And becoming as God's knowing, good from evil, placing themselves in a state to act, or being placed in a state to act according to their wills and pleasures, whether to do good or to do evil or to do good. End quote. That's from Alma, chapter 12, verse 31. What one does or says is determined by what one thinks and feels, since each person is judged by his works according to the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 13, and it will read that in a moment. It isn't surprising that we are cautioned to watch our words, thoughts, and desires of heart. Go ahead, Emmett. I was like, Mom, I have it pulled up. I, I looked at you. I was like, hold on. I was like. But it's in the middle of a sentence, so it's weird. Go ahead. <clears throat> well, yeah, it is kind of weird. And the sea gave up dead, or the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. Thank you. And he's going to look up Mosiah chapter 4, verse 30, as well as DNC 137.9, and let me know when you have that. We cannot do an act without thinking first and then desiring it. We cannot speak words without feeling and thinking first. This is probably why the Savior counseled us to love God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind, as it says in Matthew 22, verse 37. Go ahead, Emmett. Okay, so I have Mosiah 430 pulled up. Mosiah, yep. Uh I have like this weird like cough thing. I don't know. I think I've been having bad allergies recently. Hold on. This much I can tell you, that if you do not watch yourselves, and your thoughts, and your words, and your deeds, and observe the commandments of God, and continue the faith, or in the faith of what ye have heard concerning the coming of the Lord, even unto the end of your lives ye must perish. And now, O man, remember and perish not. In this council, he concluded... The mind, heart, spirit, and body. Did you have anything else to add, Emmett? I thought you said, hold on. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, add. Um, I would like to add DNC 137, verse 9. Mm-hmm. Um, and that says, oh boy. For I, the Lord, will judge all men according to their works, according to the desire of their hearts. Thank you. The world is mainly designed to appeal to the appetites of the flesh. Movies, television, magazines, skiing, boating, world travel, campers, hunting, fishing, cycles, sports, money, power, success, success, recognition, romantic love, possessions, self-worth, acceptance of others, and fear of man are all evidence of this. They're evidences of this. However, these elements of life can be for the good of man if they are seen through one's spiritual eyes. The world itself can help one grow spiritually rather than causing us to meet the lusts of the flesh. If this is the desire of one man's 
mind, and heart, each person must decide which path he will tread. Our next subheading is Law of Sowing and Reaping. Apostle Paul told the Galatians that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life, or life ever, everlasting, sorry. And, and it's going to read Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, and also verse 8. Go ahead, Emmett. Oh, Emmett said that that was part of that quote. Um, so in parentheses, it did say, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Um, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. That is Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and um, 8. Uh, he's going to look up DNC 633 and then interrupt me when you're ready. In order uh, okay, for I'm one to you right now. <laughs> oh, you're already there? Okay, yeah, I, I realized that was the thing as soon as I looked up, so I just went to DNC and I'm almost at 33. Fear not, fear not to do good, my sons, for whatever ye sow, that shall ye also reap. Therefore, if ye sow good, ye shall also reap good for your reward. I, I think that's sort of like if you do good things, you'll get good things. And in, in, in my professional opinion, as someone who is not a professional in the subject or any other subject, <laughs> um, I think he's saying, like, if you do good things, you'll get good things out of it. But, like, something along that line. Hi. Hi. I was not going to follow that statement because I knew that I could hear you breathing, and I was like, okay, we'll let you, you go on with that one. Go ahead, Mark. I'm not going to comment on it. I wasn't even listening. I'm sorry. I'm kind of distracted. Um, I just wanted to say that we have a little over two minutes left in the live streaming portion of the program. Uh, we will be going into overdrive tonight. If you are listening on the live stream and you want to hear what is going to be said, you can either call in right now and then you can't call in after 8 o'clock, but you can call in before. And if you call in before, you will stay on the line um, and you'll be able to listen to the rest of the program. And if you want to listen to the rest of the program but you do not want to call in, well, You'll have to go to iTunes, Apple iTunes, or blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon and listen to it after it uploads to both of those sites, which it doesn't take long for it to upload. It will be there within like an hour of us ending the radio program. But uh, just throwing that out there. So the guest call in number is 917. 917- Eight eight nine eight eight two seven, and there is about seventy seconds left. Or you can call in, and if you don't call in, then I guess you didn't really want to listen to it. So, <laughs> go ahead, Kim. Um, are we almost done with this? Uh, no, we're only in the middle of this. We're we're not. We're like we talk too much. Okay, okay, that's the truth. 
Okay, that's fine. Find a section where you can end it, and we can regain or re. We can get come back to this tomorrow. Okay, just give me a page, and then we can stop on Revelation and prayer. Okay. Okay, that works. Go ahead. Thanks. Okay, it, there was just a lot of. Um, scriptures this time, like looking up scriptures and such. And then we talk too much, so there's that. In order for one to grow spiritually, he must put into his mind spiritual things. He must choose to pray unto God and exercise faith, and faith is the substance of things hoped for, which takes place in the imagination of the mind, in order to feel the direction of the Holy Ghost. One must place spiritual things in his mind, and then in his heart fully believed in them. Alma thirty two twenty eight says something. Oh, that, uh, it, it, it does, does say something. something. Hold on. I had that pulled up. It said, oh, it's the one about the seed. Now we will, com- we will compare the word unto a seed. Now if you give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if you do not cast it out by your unbelief, that ye will resist the spirit of the Lord. Behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts, and when you feel the swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, it must needs be that this is a good seed, or that the word is good, for it beginneth to enlarge my soul, yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding, yea, it beginneth to be delicious unto me, etc., etc. Yeah, so essentially... Guys, plant good seeds. Put good things in so you can get good things out. If one desires to reach spirituality, he must seek after spiritual goals. The scriptures suggest various goals one could seek in the spiritual dimension. In Matthew 5:48, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Matthew 6:33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's a good thing to seek. We should seek that. Uh, John six twenty seven. Labor for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life. That's John six twenty seven. Before ye seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. That's Jacob chapter two verse eighteen. Seek for me diligently, and ye shall find me. That's D N C forty six verse eight. Seek and ye shall find. That's Matthew 7, 7. Pray unto the Father with all energy of the heart that ye may be filled with this love. That's Moroni 7, 48. As one seeks after spirituality, he will reap it and thereby become centered in God and not in man. By doing so, he will be be able to understand the adversities of this life and use them for greater spiritual growth. When others ridicule him or find fault unjustly, he will draw upon this inner spiritual strength and thereby be able to love them and help them. He will have learned how to control his feelings and desires regardless of the environment. Who then is responsible for how I feel? Do others make me mad or do I allow others to control my mind and therefore how I will feel? The Lord has made each of us a master 
of our own destiny, including our actions, thoughts, and feelings. And I just want to say on that note, because now we're done, we're going to be in Revelation and and prayer on page 119 the next time we read. Um, I just want to say that that is so true. So I learned one of the things that I am thankful to have learned in my life um, from a lot of abuse and a lot of, you know, not amazing things that have happened to me. I can really control my emotion, like ridiculous. Like I, I don't know how, Mark, how much you want me to be able to say on the show or whatever, but um, being smacked in my face and spit on and choked with um, having a man's face in mind. I'm talking of my ex in case somebody is wondering. Um, Putting a gun in uh, your mouth, making you chain up, like. Yeah. Yeah, like, okay, so lots of So all of that stuff, I have had that happen to me, and completely blank stare, no crying, no emotion whatsoever, completely turn it off, and, and, and just been able to shut it off completely and show absolutely no emotion during that time. So there are things that have, you know, been done to me, and even in that time, in that moment, I did not, I did not panic. I didn't um, scream. I didn't cry out or anything. Nobody would have heard me anyways. Um, but I am thankful for the ability to be able to control that because then when I am, um, you know, with my family or, you know, in working situations um, with other people where they seek these demons that control them. Um, They seek to get a rise out of you. They seek for you to be upset, to be angry, to be sad. They want you to feel that way. Misery loves company. That is such the quote that, you know, is being talked about here. It is what they want. It's what they seek after. They seek after things of their own, um, you know, happiness. And that's what makes them happy when other people are miserable. And so instead of allowing them that, that um, reaction and that upset, I have learned to control emotion extremely well, and I have, I have the abuse that I've lived through to thank for that. So I know sometimes it's hard for um, people to understand, but I am truly thankful for the things which I have lived through and suffered because that has helped me to grow, learn, and to have this type of knowledge. I know that it is hard Okay, I understand right at the beginning, it is hard. How can you have no emotion, you know, when you love, you know, this person, this thing that, you know, whatever it is that you're clinging after, how can you have no emotion in those moments? Well, it is hard. I'm telling you, it is hard. But you get better at it as you try, and you can, too, do this. It just has to be something you're seeking after. So, um if you're seeking after, I don't go overboard. This chapter talked, uh, even only half the chapter, has talked about so many different aspects of this and about spirituality. And so maybe you're not there yet. Maybe that's not the one thing that you're going to choose to work on. However, um, if you do, I will say that it is very difficult, but you can do it. It is hard. I've lived through a few things that were kind of rough and, and it does, it is, you know, it can happen. 
So um, that's just to help you guys to know um, that, it, you know, it can be done. You can do it too. I did it, and I am nobody, so everybody can do it too. <laughs> um, so that will be the end of the reading tonight. Um, I don't know if, Mark, did you have anything else you wanted to add to that? I didn't want to go so much into detail, but I just felt like, oh, you know, that is something that we well, can work like on. I, I myself want to work on, yeah. I don't really want to add to that explanation. Yeah, you probably I, felt like you needed to say it because somebody needed to hear it, so. Yeah. I also am thinking, um, while we're talking about this, it's talking about, like, what you're working on. What are you putting in? What are you trying to do? I have been trying, especially when it was talking about houses in here and, like, house shopping and stuff like that. I don't want to shop for a house. I just want to live where I am with my family. Um, but I know that it can be so overwhelming for me right now. So much of my brain power is just focused on the negative aspects of trying to close on a house. It, you know, and I feel like, you know, well, I shouldn't even be worried about this. Yeah. But I don't want to go contract, over it. I don't want to so read. I don't we, even want to rehash it. purchase. <laughs> I'm just going to talk about it. Okay. In November of 2019, and uh, part of the lease purchase was that we signed a contract so that, you know, whatever. And in that contract, we were told we were not allowed to do any work on the house other than minor cosmetic and, like, painting. That's it. But the individuals who are selling this house, I think they're trying to get us to default on the contract, but they, in fact, are the ones who have defaulted on the contract. They never released the water to us. The five shares that they said were during the lease postage period of the contract so that we could have a garden. And uh, they stopped doing work on the house. Um, they didn't start doing work until July of 2021. The house was supposed to close in November of 2021. So because of their actions, um, our interest rate has gone up to the point where it'll be about $200,000 more over the life of the loan because of the interest increase. And we had to like fix all the things that was their responsibility. And uh, then, then we find out last week that so there was five acres that they that they uh, had control over because the neighbor was going to hay the land, and he was supposed to have 21 shares get, uh, surrendered to him for the life of the contract. Uh, so that he could use that water and do that land, which is fine because that helps keep us in green belts. The land's being worked. Um, but we okay. found out last week that they are taking the 21 shares and they are not surrendering to them to us. So and I talked to the real, their realtor and she has loose lips. She says that they feel like they can get $40,000 for the 21 shares, even though at the Castle Valley Supply Company, Kim, can you please meet your mic? There's a lot of lot of noise in the background. I don't know if it's you or Emmett, but anyway, um, I think it's Emmett because I, well, it doesn't matter. 
anyway, but um, they told us over at Castle Valley that um, the shares are going for between 700 to a thousand dollars. But all of that was supposed to be in the life of the con or in the contract. And the original contract stated that um, when the five or when the uh, additional property is surrendered, um, it talks about water being surrendered at that point. But they're, you know, so like we have been fighting, you know, trying to get this thing done. Uh, trying not to go into default, even though they went into default, but we didn't. Um, and we've been, you know, and and all the way, you know, we've been just like, okay, we'll just deal with this. You know, this is what's happening, so we're just going to have to deal with it because we're not moving. We've invested too much time and too much work into this property um, in the farm aspect of it. And, like, where are we going to move to? we got 30 30 chickens, 12 goats, a dog, and who knows how many cats, just whatever. Anyway, and this is where we live. This is our home, you know? Five kids, it's hard to find a place to rent with five kids. So anyway, um, you know, and like we've just been dealing with it all the way up until last week when we found out that they decided that they never meant that we should have 21 shares, even though they did say that. They did intend that. That was part of the agreement. Um, all of the equipment and the shares of water are supposed to go with the land, according to what they said. And it shows it in the contract. Um, it it implies it in the contract. Anyway, but, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do, which, which, you know, we've been really let down and we're really hurt by the whole thing. You know, we, we – um, haven't been able to get a loan since we've been in this contract because we, you know, we can't have too much on our credit, but we can make sure this goes through. You know, but as soon as the the house closes, hopefully today or, to, or tomorrow or the next day, um, we have a tractor and we're ready to start doing the things that we need to do. Oh, we only have five shares now because they lied to us. So, um, and that'll be between them and God. You know, they, they're, that money that they think that they're going to gain is going to be a curse to them, like a big-time curse. That's between them and God, but it will be. So anyway, but that's what we've been dealing with. And, like, sometimes things get thrown at you, and it's hard not to be upset, you know. But... But vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's up to us to forgive. And, you know, this is just more practice that is being thrown our way so we can see how, how we should handle it. But at the same time, we're not going to be walked all over. So, uh, anyway... Um, did you have anything else to say before Amit? Please open the studio and tell me chat room wise. Okay, what I was trying to on. say before you rehashed that whole thing was that I have been so focused on all of that, um, and I'm trying not to be because I feel like, and like we were reading in scriptures tonight, um, I just feel like. 
people are going to do what they are going to do, and I am letting it affect me too much. That it's going to be like God has intended it to be, that, and people will, you know, do what they may, but we will um, still continue to make good choices and to keep our mind and our hearts focused on spiritual things and focused on God. So the more that the devil pushes against you and the more that you are pushed against, then the more spiritual you can turn and it can help you to stay spiritually centered all the time. So um, when I first married my husband, he called me this eternal optimist because I was always like, that's fine. We'll just do this. It will be amazing. Everything's great all the time. That's okay. I can fix it. And just always like that. And I know he can attest to that. Um, And over time, because a lot of things get to me, and I'm going to be so honest and, and just open, and it's brutal. So life knocks me down, and it makes me sad and upset. And mostly it just makes me, it makes me sad. Like, I, I get so heartbroken and I have a hard time showing it sometimes, but over people's choices, and not that I am sad for me because of their choices, but because I'm sad for them. Like, why are you doing that? That is so not good for you, you know? It's not good for you to bear false witness. It's not good for you to lie. It says that you shouldn't direct, you should directly not do that. And you believe in God. You're honest with your dealing with your fellow man, right? You say that you are, and it makes me sad for those people um, when we were moving out of our other house um, from in Orangeville, I was sad for those people because they were so poor that they had to steal a security deposit. And I just felt like, oh, why would you trade your God, soul for that type of thing? Even though um, it's illegal in Utah to charge a first and last month with deposit, that's yeah, illegal. they were just you poor. Cannot, they needed they, money. They, they did that. And then when yeah. they told us that we had to find another place to live, they said, you never paid for a first yeah. and last. You know, so they, they stole that money from us, and then they stole the, the security deposit from us, even though in the state of Utah, you're not allowed to do what they did. You know, we never received. And they, they even said that we were the best renters they had ever had. I, you know, know. I did a ton of work on their on their house and the landscaping and fixing the yard and all this stuff, and not one word of thanks. We did a ton yeah. of work on the deck on the back, not one word of thanks. We power washed it and painted it. You know, we did a bunch of stuff. They did not one word of thanks. And not only that, they sold like about $4,000 from us. So, you know, but like, that's sad for them. There will be an accounting. In order for them to repent, they will mm-hmm. have to pay a restitution. Same with this individual who has decided it's to steal sad. this water out from underneath us. God knows what they intended. God knows what they said. We know what they said. And they're going to, they think they're going to get $40,000 for this. And then we're going to be like left with, with only five shares of water, which isn't enough to do anything. But, yeah. And that will affect us, and that's sad. And I was thinking about that when I was uh, at the spur, you know, when you were talking and I was just thinking about things. Mm-hmm. I'm sad for them. 
because this is something that they've already done once. They've lost a lot of property and a lot of water because of dishonesty. They and have, doing yeah. It again. They didn't you learn know, from the they, first they time, so that's not life. good. Yep. And we, I really like them a lot. But I did too. I was so sad of, about that. I was like, no, I thought we were going to be good friends. We had so many things in common. We do. And I was so excited. And every time we did anything at the house, I was like, oh, she would probably do it this way. Or this is how they would do yeah. that. And I just wanted them to like it and be happy that their, their legacy that they've done on this thing. Of, yeah. Of, the, so of nice. the husband who we will not name, who had died. We wanted mm-hmm. to keep things going the way that she wanted them to be. You know, and now we can't do that because she's dishonest with the water. Yeah. You know? And so we're sad for them because of their choices. And there will have to be an accounting paid. There has to be a restitution made. Or there is no forgiveness given. Because God does not forgive you when you are in rebellious sin. And that is rebellious sin. And he's not going to, yeah. you know, beat you with a few stripes and then everything will be fine. It won't be fine. And we're sad for yeah. that. And I'm not going to sit here and be say that I'm the judge. I'm going to let God be the judge. But it's sad. It is so sad. You know. And there's nothing to do about it. So we'll let God be the judge and we pray that God will help us forgive them for what they have done. You know. So anyway, um, Amit? Where's Amit? He's right here. Hello. I was muted. Okay. There's nobody in the chat room. There's nobody in the call screening room, right? Nobody there? Yep. Yep, nope. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll be back on tomorrow with the second to last chapter of Gift of Tongues. I might just read the full uh, last two chapters. So the second to last chapter and the conclusion is what we have left in this book. I don't know how. I might just do one. I I don't know. It just depends on how much time I have and how tired I am tomorrow. It's the weather, whatever. So, um, but anyway, thank you, Kim, for reading. Thank you, Emmett, for watching the studio and for reading also, the scriptures. Also, you're welcome. And also, you're welcome. Uh, okay. And uh, I'm going to mute myself. Go ahead and cue the music, and we'll be back on dem- uh, tomorrow at 6 p.m. Utah time with another episode of Zion's Redemption Radio Network or Fundamentally Mormon. Take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.